We are well into the second generation of Americans struggling with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from the effects of combat. This spring, a veteran from the war in Vietnam wrote this about his own struggle, words he dedicated to young people coming home from combat today. PTSD is a slow, disruptive, and uncaring illness. It will suck up all the good things in your life, like family, friends, and the ability to truly feel. Please, please, please get help, he wrote. But it took that vet more than 40 years to get where he could even say that. He deployed in the 1960s, diagnosed in the late 80s. It took decades more for the Veterans Administration to concede that his PTSD had anything to do with Vietnam. Today, under U.S. law, a vet no longer has to struggle to prove his wartime experiences caused his emotional difficulties. There are treatments and networks of support today that didn't exist a generation ago. They are a gift, you might say, from the Vietnam generation to the generation of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. As part of our focus on PTSD this week, we introduced former U.S. Marine Douglas Howell, who went to Vietnam in 1966 and 1967, to retired U.S. Air Force Captain Mary McGriff, 2004 veteran of the Iraq War. When I was diagnosed with PTSD and depression in 2005, it was taboo. So even though I knew that I had the diagnosis, I refused treatment because of the stigma behind it. My husband and I knew that I came back changed. Um, I was very depressed, cried a lot, didn't know why. Uh, it would just happen. So it wasn't until six years after that I actually sought treatment. You know, half of people who are diagnosed with PTSD don't seek treatment. Douglas, how many times did you refuse treatment, would you say, if you can even count? Oh, my gosh. Uh, certainly uh, more than five or six or seven, eight times. Um, of course, when I, uh, in 1967, 68, when I got out, uh, PTSD was just beginning to be uh, talked about in the literature. And uh, uh, nobody ever told me that I had PTSD. I, I just thought I was kind of a screwed up kid, kind of living on the streets and hitchhiking around the country, not feeling like I belonged anywhere. I, I was really lost for quite a long time. So, Douglas, what brought you in? From the cold, what what was the conversation? The person was there? Somebody in your corner that said you needed to really deal with this? I, you know, I've asked myself that question a hundred times at least, and I'm I'm not sure. Uh, probably a, a gradual series of events. Um, I was doing an awful lot of uh, drugs, um, self medicating, so that I could get through the day and night, and mostly the nights. And I began to realize that the drugs were doing damage to me and the lifestyle of of the drugs were doing damage to me. And I also uh, had a girlfriend and we had a child together. And um, I, I came home one day and I saw the child and um, I didn't like the situation that I had put the child in. And I began to say, I have to, I got to get my act together. Um, I have seen any number of uh, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists over the years. Um, of course, none of them help until you really admit and want help. And you're the one that has to open those creaky doors. They can't do it for you. They can only <laughs> show you the door. So it took me a long time to begin to realize that uh, I needed to talk about my experiences. I needed to uh, sort of open the door and let people see um, uh, so that I could use them as a mirror and figure out how to work my way back to a, a more normal life. 
without being afraid of everything around me. Creaky doors. Does that have meaning for you, Mary? I started talking to people very little by little because this was at a time that I still wasn't seeking treatment, but I understood the symptoms. Then I felt comfortable enough knowing that they're one of me, that I could talk to them and they would understand. So little by little, my creaky doors would end up having some WD-40. And I felt comfortable opening it with certain people. But it is still difficult today to discuss my experience or what I go through with regular civilian or even military members who did not deploy in that type of environment. Well, let, let me just keep my mouth shut here. Forget about the civilian in the room here. Mary, what are you most curious about Douglas's experience? Go ahead and ask him. Doug, do you feel like you have made a difference for yourself and for others? Uh, well, I think uh, I think that uh, I am very proud of myself for uh, standing up to this very difficult uh, condition and facing it and dealing with it. Um, and I feel like uh, I'm happy to say that I have almost a, a normal life for having done that. The more I do it, the more I talk about it, the more I uh, become comfortable with the the ogre in the room, the more I realize that I would really like to do more for other people. I would like to do more to help find a way for people as myself and as you, Captain, uh, to uh, deal with this so that we don't have to go through that, uh, well, is this someone I can talk to or is this not someone I can talk to and how much can I talk about and how in depth can I go and what do I say to them when they say I don't want to hear anymore you know I say sorry you asked you're going to hear it what are you most curious about Mary's experience Douglas I am uh, curious about how she dealt with relationships whether she has uh, family and, and children and um, how was she able to maintain that? That was hard. Um, fortunately for me, uh, and I know for many others, it's not the same, but I have a very strong and solid marriage. Um, my husband has stuck by me since before I came into the military. So we've been married or together for over 20 years. Our relationship really didn't suffer. Um, but what suffered is me struggling with my symptoms and trying to deal with it and be the strong one and be the leader that I'm expected to be, that uh, nothing, you know, is wrong with me or that I can overcome everything. And it was a facade that not only did I have at work, but I had to have it at home. At least that's how I felt. But through treatment, my second psychologist, who was civilian, got me to the point where when she had me write my trauma account uh, of what I experienced during my four months, she later then asked me, have you shared this with your husband and your kids? And I was just flabbergasted. I was like, what are you talking about? I would never share this type of detail and emotion with my kids and my husband. And her question was, why not? And it was a darn good question. I just never thought about it. It was just a piece of my life that I wasn't willing. It was a burden. And I didn't want to burden anybody with it. But she got me through that stage in treatment where I had the nerve to actually read my trauma account, which is five pages, 
out loud to my husband. Then I let my children read it. Then they understood where I was coming from. But I have to accept the fact that I changed. That was the hardest thing because I was spending so much energy all these years trying to be the person I used to be. And it was beating my head against the wall constantly. But I was trying my best to be that person again. But I had to eventually realize that person's gone. I will never be the Mary McGriff from before September 2004. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's such an intensely private and uh, uh, invisible struggle. It's, it's a monumental struggle. And it's, and it's silent and it's invisible. And it's a difficult road to hoe. Yeah. And see, Doug, you said something earlier when you were talking about how you want to do more. But you also got to sit back and think that you've done enough so that we can carry on what you started. So we will take care of the next generation. I think that's our generational cross to bear now. It's our turn. I've still got some fight left to me. Well, let's go. (laughs) I'm going to be there. (laughs) I'm ready. Hey, Douglas. um, Yes, sir. Mr. Civilian here just for a second. Yeah. Do you have one of those trauma accounts? Yes, sir, I do. I've been back to Vietnam uh, three times since uh, uh, my deployment there, starting in 2008. A small group of us went back to find uh, a specific site, a a jungle mountaintop near the border of Laos, where uh, we suffered uh, uh, immense casualties in the space of 48 hours. Um, it took us oh, three years and two trips and an awful lot of study to finally find the site and place some memorials there for our fallen brothers. And I've been back, uh, I just went back this past May uh, for the third time and probably my last time. And I wrote a story about it. The, the, the trips back to Vietnam were probably the most therapeutic things I could have ever done, more than any of the shrinks I've seen in my life. Even though I have the effects of war, I will, I'm always leery. I can't go out of my house without this, the two seconds that happen when you open the door, you plan your path to your car, you make it the most expeditious path you can because of that sniper that's going to be out there. Even now, almost 50 years later, it is a brief fleeting moment, but it happens every single time if I open the front door to get a newspaper. But after that, I'm okay. I can do that. Going back to Vietnam helped me realize that I have no more enemies over there, and they certainly don't have an enemy in me. The enemy in me are the uh, horrific experiences that I, I wish on no one And those will uh, always be there. And what I learned was that I need to accept them and embrace them if I'm going to live with them. Because I tried for a long time to run away from them, and that was killing me. That is one of the the most, uh, I guess, difficult challenge is when people think that PTSD is like a rash. It's going to go away. And it's not. So when people say get over it, Or, oh, God, it's been 50 years. You shouldn't be thinking about that stuff already. 
those are the people that do not understand. And that is why I have such difficulty talking to people that did not experience what I did, because then I have to try to explain something that they will never understand. And I don't feel that there's a need or that I'm going to end up getting the result that I would like for them to get. So why bother? Well, to both of you, let me just note that you're speaking to about a million people who don't know this experience, who haven't had this experience right now. True. But then I've got to wonder, what are they thinking? And I understand that PTSD also is not just from war. There's PTSD from sexual assault. It could be car accident, uh, witnessing a murder or being threatened and whatnot. I mean, there's so many ways that PTSD can creep up on somebody. Um, and I know that we're focused right now just on the war part of it. So maybe those people can understand better. But then there's that other population that are like, you know, uh, Doug, I don't know if you can agree with me, but it still happens today. Did you kill anybody? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Did you shoot anybody? Did you kill anybody? Yeah. And you're and so it, right on about the, 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 the people that uh, just don't get it. And I mean, imagine 40 years ago, um, there were even fewer people that got it. And, you know. It's not something to be proud of. I mean, to, to live with that type of guilt that's, that's for really the rest an of your life. Point. Yeah. Uh, and then important. somebody just asks like it's a video game. It's like, no, you know, they didn't pop right back up. You didn't buy another life. You know, they died. It's over. Finished. There's no going back. So that is one of the worst questions to ask a veteran is, you know, if they have had to kill anybody or if they've seen anybody dying or die or whatever. I mean, that's one of the most horrific things that we have to see and experience. We don't want to talk about it. That's just not the thing to talk about. Or no medals to put on your chest for this kind of um, experience. You're right. There isn't. Can I try for a question that actually I think you both might have an answer for? According to um, the Pentagon and the VA, um, it's roughly on the order of 400,000, 500,000 uh, veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan who are believed to be diagnosed or diagnosable as having PTSD. That's you know half a million people plus their family members. Any advice for this nation on what we're going to be dealing with over the next 50 years? It's only going to get worse because you still have people who are afraid to talk because they have their career or their next job to think about. You don't want to be perceived by other people as not being capable of doing certain jobs. You don't want to be um, judged by your condition. Then not only that, when you mentioned family, that's secondary PTSD. That's another group of individuals that need treatment as well. It's just going to be worse than what it is right now, I think, in my opinion. Doug, what do you think? You know, I, I come to understand over the last uh, few years that uh, it, it's even more complex an issue than I thought it was when I first began to realize my own difficulties and situation with it. There are all sorts of levels and reasons, causation for PTSD. For some people, it may take a really horrific act uh, or scene or condition or situation for them to have it bother them, and for some people, maybe not 
so lengthy an act, maybe a simple witnessing of a robbery or something. PTSD is not a black and white issue. PTSD is this great, big, ugly blob of gray. True. I don't know. Uh, I, I wish I was smart. <laughs> I wish I was smart enough to give you a, an answer that uh, America could take and put in their pocket and run away with. But I, <laughs> I, I don't know what American can do. I, I think what they can do is listen, listen. Well, I think some of them are listening, and this is why I say that. Um, when you came back from Vietnam, you came back to an environment that was unappreciative. Um, very anti-war and anti-vet, unfortunately. Um, for us, we have nonprofits available. In my situation, having been in the Air Force, I did not deploy in a, with a unit. I deployed in a three-man team and worked with people from bases all over the world. So I didn't have, you know, 50 people that I knew. And when I came back from that environment, I had literally nobody to talk to. But then when I joined the Wounded Warrior Project, it was completely different. Everything that I needed, that I was missing, they had it. You know, I went to a support group with other women, officers and enlisted, that had PTSD. It was like God's gift to me, you know, for my recovery. It was, that's what I needed. I needed to meet other men and women um, from my generation, that we could actually talk to each other. We don't have to explain in detail because we're suffering from similar things. So we are comfortable hugging each other and sobbing on each other's arms or shoulder because we understand. And it's amazing. It's like a bond that's already been created for us through the war. It's just a matter of finding each other. I also um, have begun to be involved in a group uh, called Run for Veterans, R4V. And, and you're right, uh, Mary, this, this, is, this is wonderful for these people and for me and for all of us. And what I wanted to say when you said that we can hold each other and we can cry on each other's shoulders, um, and it takes almost no words because we all just understand. We know who we are. And we don't have to talk about it because there really aren't any words. But having oh. someone who understands me, just just that I can put my arm around and say, hey, how you doing, man? That, that, that is really, really comforting. Douglas Howell was a Marine corpsman in the Navy during the Vietnam War. He joined us from WDET in Detroit. And retired Captain Mary McGriff from the United States Air Force who served in Iraq. I'm Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, our team has been reporting high-quality news about science, technology, and medicine. News you won't get anywhere else. And now that political news is 24-7, our audience is turning to us to know about the really important stuff in their lives. Cancer, climate change, genetic engineering, childhood diseases. Our sponsors know the value of science and health news. For more sponsorship information, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.